Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Well, as uh, all mass murderers sentenced to life without parole under a 2011 law will now be entitled to a chance at release after serving 25 years as a unanimous Supreme Court of Canada ruling has struck down the country's toughest punishment. There are at least 12 such convicted murderers, including men who killed Mounties, small children, and senior citizens. The Supreme Court ruled that sentencing mass killers, including terrorists, to whole life sentences is cruel and unusual punishment. It is therefore unlawful under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Now, the ruling came in the case of Alexander Bissonnette, who killed six Muslim worshippers at a Quebec City mosque in 2017. He will now be eligible for parole after serving 25 years. So will Alex Minasian, who killed 10 people on Toronto's Yonge Street in a van rampage in 2018, and whose sentencing uh, had been delayed pending the Supreme Court decision. Joining me now to discuss the issue is Ari Goldkind, a criminal lawyer and a legal expert. Mr. Goldkind, thank you for joining us today. Great to be on with you, Mr. Johan. So uh, what are the immediate repercussions of this ruling? Well, there, it's a good way you put it. The repercussions are not only immediate, they're retroactive. They go back to 2011, and they're on a going-forward basis from now until forever. It's really a very dark day for murder victims and those who love them. There's a lot of people six feet under rolling in their graves about this, and most of the people uh, in heaven above probably looking down going, what's going on here? So the immediate repercussions are that anybody who's been given a stacked parole ineligibility period, what that means in English, Jazz, is that in 2011, the Harper government changed the law so that every life taken by a mass murderer, a serial murderer, every life counted potentially should a judge exercise their discretion. Remember, this wasn't mandatory. That's Mm -hmm. a big part why I think this decision is problematic. It was not mandatory. It's not like the United States, where we sentenced somebody to 1,352 years. Here, everybody post the Harper decision, a decision that the Trudeau government never objected to. Think that through, given that Harper has become like Voldemort. The Trudeau government supported this law. Everybody who's received a 50-year, a 75-year parole ineligibility period, which means they can't apply. The sentence is always life, let's be clear. The Mm -hmm. sentence is always life. All of those sentences back to 2011 will be undone. All those people can apply for parole after 25 years. And everything going forward, and you mentioned Bissonnette, also Alec Manassian, all of Mm -hmm. those sentences are now automatic. There should be no sentencing hearing. There's waste of time. They're a theater. It's life, no chance of parole for 25 years. Full stop. Uh, so the repercussions of this now moving forward, I mean, for the average Canadian listening to this, um, does this apply to many, many people within the system? Or there, is it just a small group of people who have obviously um, been found guilty of some very heinous crimes? Is this a, a large group of people we're talking so, about? That's a great question, Jazz. And here's, what I'll, here, here's my answer, leaving my lawyer hat off for a moment, more as a mm-hmm. Canadian citizen and, and political commentator. The number of cases that this will apply retroactively back to is probably in the range of maybe 10 to 20, okay? Okay. Now, you may say that's a very small number, but there are 10 to 20 families out there now who have had their loved ones killed, and the criminal code, our moral values as Canadians, is really focused on the sanctity of life. So retroactively, while the number does not appear big, I'm not saying hundreds or thousands, There's 10 to 20 families now whose worlds have been once again 
turned upside down. Now, on a going forward basis, Jazz, this is also a very interesting mm-hmm. part of the discussion, which is the Manassian sentence, the butchery and the carnage he did. There's a man out west, Justin Bork. His sentence is going to be undone. Uh, there's going to be, particularly if, like me, you think Canada is going to get much, much more violent in the months and years to come, there will be no judicial courtroom criminal law sanctions for somebody who decides to take more than one life. Remember, these are not accidents. These are not unintentional homicides. These are first-degree murderers. These are the worst of the worst. And Mm -hmm. going forward from today, you can kill one. And in your mind, not that I accept many of the theories of deterrence and our laws prevent people from doing this. Bad and evil people are going to do bad and evil things. But the bottom line is, if you're taking one life, you know in your mind, not that I'm saying that's what they're thinking at the time, it will make no difference whether you take three, four, five, or even 15. And that, to me, is really concerning as a Canadian citizen. There's reasons for it. I'm not sure we have time to go into that. Uh is the Supreme Court also saying, or indirectly, I guess, to the ruling is, come back with, to us with a better law? Well, no, I don't. See, that's a very good point. You saw Justice uh, Minister Lametti yesterday saying we're going to look at this. No, this, they're, they're not going to get a law back because one of the functions of the Supreme Court is to declare something unconstitutional. And they have been clear as a bell in their decision that it is gross and disproportionate and an affront to the dignity of the murderer. Jazz, those are their words, not mine an mm-hmm. affront to the dignity of the murderer that he won't be able to apply within his natural life. Now, think that through about the dignity of the people butchered and, and killed, but their position is that they're not going to entertain anything like this in the ballpark, no matter what Parliament does. The notwithstanding clause won't work. A couple uh, political candidates were threatening that on Twitter yesterday. Mm-hmm. This is a fait accompli. And, you know, the Supreme Court's position, if I can say, just for your audience to know, They Mm -hmm. say the reason we're doing this is because it's not for us to judge the morality of every life mattering. And point number two, we don't want people to be in penitentiaries killing and stabbing themselves and guards because they have nothing to live for. That's not exactly the strongest intellectual argument I've never heard for separating out some of the most horrible people in our society from not being able to breathe the same air as you, me, and your listeners. Uh, and I have, I'm certainly not a lawyer like yourself, but is the, the charter essentially tie the hands of these uh, justices? Not in. Okay, that's a wonderful question. I wish we had more time for that. So this is a nine to zero decision. So people who disagree with me will say, "Hey, Mr. Goldkind, you, you know you don't know what you're talking about." Nine judges unanimously ruled this way. I can tell you, as certain as I'm sitting here, that not yep. only do other countries do this, countries we respect and model many of our laws under, and they have found it constitutional, I could easily have seen these judges, particularly if some of them were touched by murder, some of them lost loved ones, I could easily see a 9-0 to decision written just as long, just as ivory tower, just as legal easy, saying, look, this is the one area in criminal law, which is once a jury convicts you of multiple murders. This is not about the presumption of innocence. This is not beyond proof of a reasonable doubt, making sure we don't jail innocent. This is not the death penalty. I Mm -hmm. can very easily have seen the nine judges saying, you know, this is actually constitutional. The dignity of an offender is not offended by this. There is a small, minuscule, to use your earlier question to me, there may Mm -hmm. be a minuscule number of mosque shooters, 
synagogue shooters, school shooters, who by virtue of the depravity and immorality of their actions, Parliament is within its rights, and from 2011, Jazz, you know it stood, that Parliament is within its rights in a democracy to represent Canadians and to say there's an extraordinarily small subset of people, extraordinarily, who, depending on their actions, should not be able to breathe the same air as you and I. Uh, you you use the term uh, ivory tower there. Uh, is this a case, um, uh, you know, uh, and I don't expect to agree with everything the Supreme Court of Canada comes down with, yeah. but is this a case, one could argue, where the Supreme Court uh, in its ruling is out of touch in regards to the sentiment of the vast majority of Canadians? Uh, yes. As a lawyer, I'm supposed to say no, but I think I have the right to express <laughs> myself and say I absolutely think so. Now, in fairness to the Supreme Court, Jack, the Supreme Court doesn't put its finger up to the wind or go on anti-social media. I refuse to call it social media and say, let's do what the majority of Canadians want. Oftentimes, the whole existence of the Supreme Court is to protect extraordinarily minority views. That being said, do I think the decision would be the same way if, God forbid, and I mean that, God forbid, one or two justices had their loved ones butchered or raped or murdered or child molested or buried alive uh, in a field, I'm not so sure that they would have viewed the dignity of an offender and cruel and unusual punishment the same way. I'm also unconvinced, Jazz, that mm-hmm. saying we want to keep people in jail, rehabilitating themselves, bettering themselves, not stabbing guards, not stabbing each other. Look, I think most Canadians would have made a trade-off that if you shoot up a mosque and kill yeah. five, ten people, or you drive down Young Street and kill 20 people, maybe we'll create some special jail way out in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, or in the Yukon, where we put the 10 to 15 people every five years that do it. I don't know. I just think life has to matter a little bit more. But as a lawyer, you read their decision, and it's logically uh, interesting. But I I certainly think, to your question, there is a removal from the, the views of most Canadians. But from a lawyer point of view, the job of the Supreme Court is literally to do what it thinks it's right without thinking about a ballot box. So moving forward, uh, and perhaps thinking of a ballot box, I don't know, what should Canadians or listeners of this show do? Is it a question of uh, of uh, lobbying, calling your MP uh, to rethink this, but bring something back that potentially could work within the Charter? Uh, nothing's going to work. In my view, and I know, as I said, uh, Mr. Polyev put out a statement yesterday saying he'll use the notwithstanding clause. He can't do it for reasons I can't get into. This is a fait accompli. This is a nine to zero. Supreme Court unanimous decision that talks about cruel and unusual punishment as unconstitutional. Parliament can take a crayon, they can take a Sharpie, they can give press conferences. I mean, Lametti was very clipped in his words yesterday. This is over. But I think, again, this is something that Canadians, when they look at their politicians, they look at the increase of crime in Canada, they look at the increase in gun crime, violent crime, carjackings, assault, sucker punching people on public transit. Perhaps it's time, leaving aside this court decision, that the public understands that there may just now be a disconnect between the criminal justice system and the prioritization of not only victims of crime, but victims of the most egregious crimes. But can they write their way out of the Supreme Court decision, Jazz? In my humble view, not a chance. Broadly speaking, how much of a challenge, and what do you, I mean, more so what you see, I guess, is, is the, the way to rephrase this. There is always the need to obviously balance the rights of the accused and the sentiments of the public and where the Canadian society sits. Um, in your mind, having worked in the criminal justice system for a very long time, 
do you worry sometimes of people's perceptions of the justice system? Because, you know, on my show, uh, I always hear this, that people generally feel that this country just does not get tough enough with criminals. And I'm not one of those guys that say, look, throw away the book. I understand there is a balance here. But do you worry about people's perception of the criminal justice system moving forward, not just on this decision, but other past decisions that Canadians sometimes feel were just too easy on criminals? I do. I do worry about that. And even though my job is to walk into a courtroom and very effectively and successfully advocate to the opposite of what I'm about to say, um, you know, you're asking me a straight question, you're going to a straight answer. Yes, I think there is a disconnect there. And as people in big cities, Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, see crime rates rising with a very small number of people causing an extraordinarily significant amount of violence, there is a disconnect. There is this perception uh, that the Canadian system is much more soft on crime than other jurisdictions, particularly the U.S. Now, that's not always a good thing. We don't want to match the U.S. in certain things. We don't want to lock people up and throw away the key for certain drug offenses or for certain offenses that really somebody deserves another chance. But, you know, it's a really interesting thing to tie back to a point, to your question and to my point earlier, which is this. I'm much more comfortable with a Supreme Court and the justice system that obsesses over the rights of accused to not be convicted when they're innocent. You never want to have an innocent person be convicted. That's where I want my criminal justice system to be obsessed. Uh, Now, the Supreme Court and many other courts and Parliament have been obsessed with victims' rights and making it much easier, for example, in sexual assault prosecutions for people to be convicted. So what am I saying? The Supreme Court on one hand, and many other levels of court, higher courts and provinces, have been obsessed with victims' rights, making sure victims' rights have a louder voice, oftentimes than somebody who's presumed innocent. Now you have a Supreme Court decision that barely spends a paragraph, and I'm being serious here, Jad, Hmm. that barely spends a paragraph talking about the loved ones, the people killed, and that the entire decision is only about the dignity of the murderer. Now, I can understand their decision. Their job, as I said, is not to please Canadians, not to please Twitter. It's not to put their thumb up to the wind and see which way it's blowing. But to me, there's an ideological dichotomy where on one hand, the loved ones, the murder, don't really matter for something as simple as a parole ineligibility period to not drag families to parole board hearings. Yes, we know the parole board won't let Bernardo out. We know that. Mm -hmm. But should the families of those killed in 20 years have to make the trek out to a penitentiary? I have trouble in my head with somehow the system should be bending over backwards and calling it undignified and cruel and unusual to keep somebody in a jail. And one of the reasons is because it doesn't give them hope of rehabilitation. I understand that. It's part of sentencing principles. It's Section 718 of the Code. But as a civilized society, do we lose our civilization? If in this extraordinarily small set, let's say, God forbid, somebody blows up a jet over Saskatchewan because they're a terrorist. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I don't think that should attract the same parole ineligibility period as somebody who kills one person. Now, the Supreme Court says, I'm out to lunch. That's fine, by 9 to 0. And, you know, look, let's make the argument. They're much smarter than me. I'm just one lowly lawyer who has my own views of morality and what the criminal justice system is for. But do I think there is a move and a perception that the courts 
really do not understand a lot of these issues in terms of a personal, emotional way, yes, I think that's a good thing. But my obsession as a criminal defense lawyer, Janet, it's an obsession, mm-hmm. is making sure innocent people don't get convicted, that we don't make it easier to convict people just because Twitter thinks they're guilty, whether it's Gomeshi, whether it's Jacob Hogarth. To me, that's where the criminal justice system has to fight back to the public, fight back to the Me Too movement, fight back to the presumption of guilt. But once a jury says somebody has blown up a plane or run over everybody on Young Street or Bissonette has shot up a mosque with innocent people praying, I don't know. I don't think we lose our way by saying you've lost your ability to breathe the same air as you and I. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.